Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It's such, in my opinion, uh, an injustice and an and atrocity that folks who are trying to gain healing, who are trying to gain spiritual revelation, who are trying to gain um, some sort of creativity for, for themselves and also to reimagine a different world, to reimagine a better society, have to uh, work under the context and under the fear that, that these uh, substances are illegal is, is terrible in my mind. All right, Look Up listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Look Up podcast. I am your host, Mark Weinstein, and as always, thank you. Thank you so much for listening along. Thank you for supporting the Patreon. Thank you for sharing the episodes. Thank you for guest recommendations. Thank you for reading the newsletter. Uh, Happy Amazon Prime Day. October 13th, 2020. Um, If you follow the newsletter, you'll get that reference, I think. Coming at you live with, well, not live. (laughs) Oh, I'm having fun today. Um, So this week's episode is part two of my conversation with Daniel Grauer, author of Psychedelic Consciousness, Plant Intelligence for Healing Ourselves and Our Fragmented World. As you know from the last episode, Daniel is a writer, teacher, and speaker who explores individual and collective transformation through the lens of philosophy, psychology, spirituality, and ecology. I really enjoyed his book, Psychedelic Consciousness. I enjoyed this conversation even more. One of my favorite quotes was that there's nothing dangerous that we as a society absolutely 100% prohibit except for drugs. Uh, so things like knives, we discuss, you know, a knife in the hand of a surgeon is much different than the knife in the hand of a child, right? Or a murderer. And such is the case with psychedelic technologies. Our previous episode explored the history of psychedelics, Daniel's experience uh, with his own psychedelic journeying. And this episode focuses a little bit more on safety efficacy, uh, resources for further learning, and how to deal with uh, fear around psychedelic experiences. And then we close out with a bit about the power of gratitude, integration, and even the power of breath. So that's enough for me today. Hope you're having a great week, and I'll be back with you all next Wednesday. Thanks. If we don't, if we don't get this, you can call it fluff. If we don't get our shit together, we're going to die and we're going to experience an immense amount of suffering and we are killing ourselves in the process. So it, whoever's responding and saying that's fluffy well, good luck, man, because it's 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 going down. We're, we're I mean, we're, we're we're burning. It's either we get it together and understand we're living together and try and work to fix these things, 
or we die. And it's as simple as that. I don't think there's anything fluffy about that, right? And so it's, again, it's, you know, this is, this is in my mind, the earth, the plants, the mushrooms communicating us and trying to bring us back into the fold and say, let's, let's fix this thing. And I think it's through this, like we were talking about earlier, these 5H2A receptors, that this is where the communication happens. Um, so that's my, that's my stance on that. Hopefully, hopefully it answered the question. Yeah, for sure. And I love how you draw kind of historical parallels to the emergence of certain ideas and destructive forces on earth alongside the um, prohibition of psychedelics as well as the reemergence of psychedelics over time. It's just like a really a really interesting uh, parallel to see play out over kind of human history. Um, I want to, I guess, I, I'd like to get more towards this, the specifics around practice, around psychedelic use. You talk a little bit about set and setting, and you talk about integration. And then I'd like to also understand kind of some of the latest breakthroughs and innovations that are happening in the psychedelic field with programs like MAPS and others, um, you know, and, and, Michael Pollan speaks a bit about this in his book as well. So, you know, this question keeps coming to my mind as you're, as we're talking about this. And I think it's something that, you know, I, I personally in my psychedelic journey have wondered, which is, um, the, the limitations of use. So, you know, could someone, I guess, hypothetically they could, but in your estimation, like, could someone be live in a psych in a psychedelic state of consciousness um, at all times? You know, under the influence of of a, of a psychedelic substance, i.e., like every morning. There's a, a big microdosing trend, but like every morning, waking up and dropping acid. Um, I don't think that would be possible. Um, I think you know, even even, <laughs> even 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 physiologically speaking, I think at some point you build up a tolerance to it, and and. You know, we, we assume these things are, are non-addictive. Um, and I don't think it'd be possible to, to exist in a, in a psychedelic state of consciousness. I think these are, these are experiences to have. Um, and the degree of frequency obviously varies per person and per situation. But of course, the most important thing is, is the integration work and what we're taking from these experiences and bringing into our, into our world. Of course, it's possible you can have an incredible ego dissolution, mystical unifying experience um, in the midst of psychedelics. And um, over time, if that's something that you want to integrate in your life, something like meditation and yoga might be really helpful, which I think are things that are gently uh, easing us into more of a unified understanding of, of the world. Over time, we're going deeper and deeper within and the more we're in, the more we're listening, the quieter we are and getting subtler and subtler and listening to all the things around us and also understanding that we are a part of, of a whole as well. Um, so this is, these are things that we could ease into. And of course, in great uh, spiritual traditions and great spiritual uh, faiths, the main goal at the end of it is, is achieving achieving unity with the divine, with, uh, whatever label of, of God that's, that's being used. And so, you know, is it, is it possible to maintain again, this, this, this psychedelic state? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that's a necessary thing. Um, nor would it probably be very <laughs> beneficial. Uh, but can we, can we take the, the understanding that is, that is in there and use that understanding to integrate more into our life? Absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a really important thing to focus on. 
a, f- a follow on that is, um, you know, and ties in kind of the modern research on psychedelics, you know, like how impactful are psychedelic experiences from a stickiness standpoint? Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to add to that kind of my own bias and it's, and loadedness. Um, I'm, I'm slightly playing the part of the psychedelic skeptic in this, although that's not who, that's not who I am. I think it's just interesting to kind of pick at these ideas as well. Um, the, you know, there is something that I've noticed in, you know, in kind of like Venice culture, let's call it like Los Angeles kind of counterculture, um, where I see a lot of folks going consistently going back to the well, consistently like regular, um, psychedelic ceremonies, like relying on the psychedelic substance for answers, um, to hard questions, building not an addiction, but a dependency. And um, I, I find chasing that state of elevated consciousness. And so I guess I'd, that's more of an observation and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And then I'd also like to understand kind of from your perspective as well as, as if there's any recent science you could bring into, um, you know, the stickiness of the positive halo effect from a profound psychedelic experience. Yeah, well, I appreciate you taking the other side because it makes for a more uh, comprehensive discussion. So thank you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so uh, uh, it's, uh, I think what you're you're pointing to has been called a bit of uh, spiritual bypassing. Um, I think it's the Mm. best, the best, the best term that I've heard for constantly going back to, to ceremonies and, and maybe not trying to take the lessons that were learned and, and do the, do the work of, of integrating it and really trying to work through it. Um, I don't know why this, this number is coming up. I know, I know personally, if I've had really deep, profound internal experiences, I, I certainly don't feel like I can go back there for another three or six months or so. And it seems like I've, I've heard similar numbers from, from other people. Um, and, and it feels right in terms of a larger, a larger scale integration. Um, and it could be, you know, you've had a few ceremonies in a row to, to get to that, to that, to that point of something really, uh, valuable coming up that you need to, that you need to work towards. Um, but it's, it's important to mention, and there is certainly the, the capacity to do that. And I think the more, the more these, these plants and mushrooms are brought into the light, the more these things are normalized, the more information is out there and the more support that's readily available to uh, hopefully bring us to a place where we could use these, these plants, mushrooms, substances, tools, whatever you want to call them in the safest way possible, in the most beneficial way possible, and the most comfortable way possible. Um, and yeah, when you're looking at the, the research of, of, of what you're talking about, uh, whether we're talking about healing PTSD or, or depression or addiction um, or anxiety related to terminal illness, um, it's found that there, there, there is a stickiness to it. Uh, they check in with, uh, with folks six, you know, six months after, a year after, sometimes even longer, and they're still reported uh, being being healed of some of these these uh, illnesses that we don't have any cures for in modern medicine, 
right? You know, I think I'm, I'm not going to be able to say the exact numbers. When you look at the, for those four categories that I spoke about, when you look at the efficacy rate of, of current drugs and current therapies, it's somewhere between 10 to 30% and 30% being on the higher end. And then you look at the, you know, um, these experiences with psychedelic psychotherapy, and sometimes it's it's in the range of 90 plus percent effect uh, efficacy. And again, this is carrying on for six months, for for sometimes a year, for sometimes longer. I mean, these ex- these experiments are are relatively new. Um, so, you know, do we have 20 year data? No, of course not. Some of this research just started again in, in 2006. Uh, just be allowed to do it. Um, but it seems that these, that these experiences stick, that there's something of such a revelatory nature that it's so profound again, when it's, when it's in a supported context and when it's done in that way, they found that, you know, the, the mystical experience or the ability to access a mystical experience is what correlates with the deepest healing because it's, it's, it's direct. It's not this conceptual, uh, thing that's happening. You're, you're, you're breaking a threshold. You're going into this ego dissolved, unified wholeness state that feels realer than real. That's beyond time. That's almost ineffable. It's, it's beyond words itself. And there's something about the stickiness of that experience that remains with us. And not only the healing is done then, but the immensity of the experience allows it to carry forward as well. And it's something that we could, that we can refer back to. And is it possible that in two, three years, four years, you might need a follow-up? Absolutely. But is that a million times better than, than taking a medication every single day that's kind of numbing you out and reducing the symptoms rather than, um, you know, getting to the root of the issue and working through some deep healing? You know, these are all things to consider. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, these are really powerful tools. And I think it's important to to talk about them as living beings and also talk about them as tools, because in our mindset right now, I think that's really the Western mindset. That's how we're looking at them. And Stan Groff had a beautiful saying of of talking about tools and looking at LSD as like a tool and comparing it to a knife. Right. A knife in the hand of a surgeon, a murderer, a chef and a four year old is going to be a very different tool. Right. However, it's the same actual thing. And just because that someone could use a knife in an improper and dangerous way does not mean that we automatically outlaw and prohibit the use of knives, right? We try and figure out a way to implement them and to use them in the safest, most efficient way. Sometimes, you know, restrictions, sometimes guidelines. But if you look at it, there is absolutely nothing in our society that we absolutely prohibit rather than drugs, right? And and particularly something that holds so much healing and spiritual potential it gets pretty crazy, right? So again, there's not to say that um, when these powerful tools are being brought into society, that there that there might be individuals, that there might not be groups of individuals who are using them in in ways that might not be so um, efficient and beneficial to their personal growth, um, and uh, you know it might not be so so beneficial. Like I said, if they keep on like you're talking about, if they keep on going back to the well. Um, however, like I said earlier, there is kind of an anti-addictive quality here. And I have found if folks are going to it regularly, there's this, there's this pushing away effect. The experiences don't really seem to continue to be as pleasant. And on top of it, there's also something inherent in that argument to say, who are we to say, um, when folks go back to these experiences, who are we to say that everyone doesn't have the right 
to interact with their own consciousness, their own cognition, which is, of course, an argument of cognitive liberty. Who are we to say that 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 that's not uh, allowed? And I think that's a really, you know, increasingly important to, to talk about here because we like to say, all right, let's legalize it in a therapeutic context. Let's legalize it in a spiritual context, which going back to some research, uh, Roland Griffith found these are spiritually meaningful experiences that carry through again for months after in the individual and the, in the, in the people around them as well. So it's, you know, w- what are we talking about here? And it's, and it's one thing entirely to say, you know, you should do something in a certain way. And I think that's the, that's the language that we should be talking about, right? There's a way that you should be. There's a, there's, there's a way that in, in using psychedelics, again, if it's, if it's prepared, if it's important, if it's in, integrated, you're going to get the best result. You're going to feel the safest. Um, and that's the way to do it. But then it's another thing it's entirely to say you cannot do it, right? Cannot is all of a sudden infringing on basic human rights to say that you cannot make a choice to do something. I mean, it's inherent in being alive. You should have choice so long as it does not harm another person. Right? That's almost inherent to being alive. All of a sudden, we've taken away that choice from the individual. And why? What's the reasoning behind it? We don't actually have any reason to say why. You know, in the courts, there's, uh, you know, oh, something might happen. It might cause harm. But when you look at the research, physiologically speaking, these things are actually generally generally safe. Of course, mentally, there is some, there are some intense experiences to be had. But on top of that, the research shows that there is no negative effects to, to mental health or to uh, the cause of mental problems in the process of using these plants and mushrooms. Yes, if you have um, uh, schizophrenia or, or pre-existing conditions, you know, bipolar one, you need to be very careful because it might exacerbate those symptoms. But it's not the cause itself, right? And also, David Nutt put out a famous chart years ago that showed the uh, taking all the drugs and the harm that it could cause to individuals and that it could potentially harm to others. And of course, we find the complete opposite of our drug laws, psilocybin mushrooms being the lowest harm potential to individuals and others and alcohol, alcohol. being being the top yeah. most, right? And so yeah. on top of it, there's, there's some other you know, surveys that showed psilocybin, you know, this uh, global drug survey, you know, that surveyed 10,000 people and the amount of folks that went to the hospital as a result of it. And I think it was 0.2% were psilocybin mushrooms. If that was expanded on a larger scale to be statistically relevant, we're talking about less of a statistic than going to the hospital for like food allergies, ibuprofen, Tylenol. Mm. So it's, again, it's like, what, what are we really talking about here? Um, and what's the fear of people being able to explore these, these, these uh, states of consciousness? And again, it's not to say it's not intense, not to say it can be incredibly challenging. It could be incredibly scary. It could, yes, we could have people who are approaching it in, in, in a certain way, but for me, it goes down to a, a matter of natural rights. It goes to a matter of natural freedoms. And again, how do we get enough information out there that we're supporting the, the safest and most beneficial use of these things without telling someone that they cannot absolutely do something. And that's a perfect segue because I was going to ask, you know, one, I was going to comment, um, you know, to your point about kind of like cannot versus shoulds. I think back to like dare, you know, and we both grew up on Long Island in New York and dare to be drug free was like the program that you went to in school. And it was like, cannabis like weed is a gateway drug and it's going to take you to these other drugs and then you're going to it don't do psychedelics because you'll have a you'll have a flashback and like the fear of flashback in psychedelics is such a hilarious thing because like 
if I'm experiencing a flashback, I'm normally like, oh, wow, like this feels fantastic. Like, I'm like, <laughs> like, like, wow, I'm glad to be back there. This is awesome. That just hit me. Like I cracked me and I'm like, ooh, this is nice. Um, but, but, you know, it's just this, this kind of like, um, I'm thinking of that, that film that came out in the 1920s against weed, sm- weed smoking and how it was like, oh, it's, the, it's the worst. Um, and yet, you know, the, Maybe if cannabis does lead young people to this experience, you said you were 15 when you did this for the first time. It wasn't done in a religious ceremony. It wasn't done with the perfect set and setting, um, but it was profound and it led you down this path. You know, I I did it for the first time. Um, I did psilocybin for the first time in nature with three of my friends. And, you know, that same experience of, you know, having a tree feel truly, you know, like to the point where you're feeling like a child again, that child wonder of, wow, this tree feels as alive as I am. You know, it's, it's moving, it's breathing, it's, it's presenting itself to me in a way that feels very different than, oh, that tree's an object and not a living piece of this earth that we all share. Um, so I'm not to say, I'm not here promoting kids doing psychedelics, but I am saying that even when we think we know the exact right circumstance that people should be operating under these substances, Sometimes even that is restrictive in the sense that like, you know, we've had, we both have had positive experiences in not the perfect set and setting without the guidance, without the proper integration. And maybe I have, you know, suffered from that actually, who knows, but um, I think that's important to point out. And then to your point about disseminating information, I think that was coming to come to my next question. Uh, And then I have one or two more questions that I want to ask. The first, you know, like for someone that is curious about participating in a psychedelic experience for consuming a psychedelic, you know, what resources do you recommend to them in terms of where they can go learn about these things, how they can identify a safe, a safe space to participate in one of these experiences? What are potentially red flags for them to look for um, to not be manipulated or, or taken advantage of? Um, so I guess like the, what should you look for and then what should you potentially avoid or even just high level, like check out this website, you know, this has great information and I can drop it in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds great. Um, yeah. So your, to your first point about us kind of coming into it recreationally, it does, it does raise, a an, an interesting, interesting point. Of course, we're, we're definitely not <laughs> supporting, uh, teenage, teenage use of psychedelics here. Uh, but there was also, there was an interesting study that came out a few months ago that had done a survey on individuals who had psychedelic experiences outside of a therapeutic or religious context, sometimes at festivals in nature. Um, things of that order. And what was fascinating is, is they found similar results. They found, you know, in, it could be wrong, let's say 70, 80% or so, it was a majority of individuals felt, you know, an increased uh, sense of well-being after, an increased sense of empathy, of openness, um, uh, you know, maybe increased meaning or purpose or an understanding of the connectivity of the world. So it's, it's, that's an interesting point itself and kind of errs towards this thing of, of one should be able to use um, these plants and mushrooms in, in certain contexts. But it does also say, hey, you know, even in, even in a nature context, if you're with uh, a guide or a compassionate friend that's, that's looking after you, of course, that's going to be safer. And of course, that's going to be more beneficial. And if you're looking to have a really deep internal healing experience, you know, you're going to want to be more in a ceremonial or, or therapeutic setting. Um, but to someone who's 
and again, this isn't to, to support the idea of, of recreational use. It's, um, it's kind of a tricky, a tricky area there to say, you know, we should, again, we should have the freedom to do so, but be very careful and be, um, again, yeah. there's a, you know, should, there's a should not, you know, make sure, make sure you're doing it in, in the right way. It's Absolutely. Very and that's, I, yeah. I think this is more just like guidance on yes. if you're already thinking about this, where can you learn more to go actively make a decision within the legal framework of the jurisdiction that you're living in. As yeah. Well. well, that's a, that's a really important topic because of course uh, in America, you know, many of these substances are still illegal. So, um, it's tough to be able to, it puts, you know, puts myself in an interesting category to be able to say, go do this. Cause I can't tell someone to go do it. Cause you know, that would be, um, yeah. that would, promoting and yeah, and exactly. Like, Exactly. Well, we, know, can, I, we don't I, have I, to even get. We there. could, we could, we could go into it because you know I like, I like talking about safety. And I can point people to certain directions. You know, in my, in my, in my book, I have a whole entire appendix that's dedicated to, uh, to safe, to safe and legal use. Um, so that might be, might be a good guide uh, for folks yeah. looking. I also, I also highly recommend uh, James Fadiman, uh Psychedelic Explorer's Guide. I found incredible, and I, I, I reference him throughout that section as well in terms of creating. Um, safe experiences in terms of picking guides in terms of potentially being a guide. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great stuff in there. Um, there's also, uh, tons of information on, uh, something I used when I was a teenager was Arrowhead. Uh, some of the early guys in, in providing, providing information in terms of legality, in terms of potential dosage. Uh, there's tons of information out there that, that, that folks could read. Um, and, you know, in, in regards to being safe, there's a lot of things to focus on. Um, and we're, we're, we're in a time period again, where it's important to note that these, these aren't legal experiences. Um, and so of course, of course you can go to, you can go to South America and it's legal there. Um, but you also want to be really safe in, in who you're choosing and who you're trusting yourself with. There's been, uh, terrible reports of, of sexual harassment in those, in those contexts. So it's something, something to be mindful of. And, uh, you know, of course there's a lot of, of research organizations that are starting to do certain trials. So you can, you can try and try and go through that route. Um, but if you are going to embark on your own, be very mindful of your set, you know, where, where you're, you're, you're doing, um, or sorry, your, uh, your, your mindset going into this experience. Are you prepared? Have you, have you read, um, various books, various reports that are providing a ton of detailed, uh, research on this matter and debunking a lot of various myths that are out there because the you know the myths that you could you know all of a sudden lose your mind in the experience and you know you know all these crazy things are, are important to debunk and the more um equipped you are the more you understand what could happen um the better you're going to be the more you're you know as they talk about in a lot of these therapeutic settings the more you're able to go into to be able to flow with the experience itself and the thoughts that come about the safer you're going to feel the more you resist it sometimes the more challenging it could be and of course there comes to the setting the the environment that you're taking it in um are you um, out at a, at a festival or party somewhere, which comes with a lot of, a lot of risk, particularly if there's not a, like a harm reduction organization, such as the Zendo project where, where you can go and, and feel supported in an experience. Are you, um, 
you know, are you sitting on a couch with uh, a friend or a guide that has a lot of knowledge and is just compassionate and, and supports you in it? Um, are you out in nature in, in someone's uh, backyard and again being supported by someone or are you in a public space that could feel very threatening at points um, if you don't feel safe in that public space so these are all kind of things just to just to think about before you go into it and it's it's kind of tough on time wise to go into all the details of what would be involved in in terms of dosage in terms of uh you know onset and uh the timing involved of course you want to give yourself a lot of timing for the experience to to unfold you don't want to feel rushed um and then it also you know, it goes into a matter of drug purity, of drug safety. Um, if you're taking something that's synthetic, have you tested your drugs? Um, there's a lot of reagent testing on Amazon that I think you could buy. There's a lot of reports of adulterated um, substances out there. Uh, so definitely, if you want to feel safe, make sure to test to test your test your various substances and, and whatever it may be. And on top of that, if you're going to trust someone with your deep vulnerability in these states, whether it be an underground therapist, whether it be someone who calls himself a, a facilitator or someone who's a, a shaman, you want to make sure you're really comfortable with that individual. You want to make sure that you don't sense that there's any power um, thoughts involved, that there's any sexual innuendos involved, that there's any desire just to be making a lot of money. Um, you want to feel very safe with this person and feel as if they're just providing a safe environment for you to be working with these, with these plants and mushrooms and with these substances, because that's what's happening. It's inside you and it's uh, facilitating a certain experience. And so just be, of course, like anything, be very careful if someone's telling you they have all the answers and they want to guide you in a, in a certain direction that should not be the case. It should be you who's having the experience. And again, it's just, it's just a safe environment, but it's, again, it's important to note that unless you're, uh, in the UDV, um, you know, which, uh, there's a Supreme court case in 2006, which allowed them to their specific church to use ayahuasca or, um, or the native American church for, for peyote use. We're, we're, yeah, we're talking about an, an activity that's, that's illegal. And so, um, it puts it in a really weird gray area because this could be so incredibly beneficial for, for individuals. And of course there's incredible decriminalization efforts happening around the country. There's, there's, um, uh, of course, all the research that's going out there, which is hopefully trying to take things past phase three trials to eventually become, become legalized, um, and again, there's, there's underground therapists and stuff to, to work with, but it does make it a pretty challenging time. If you're, if you're someone who wants to get into it, how do you navigate it? And it's such, in my opinion, uh, an injustice and, and, an atrocity that folks who are trying to gain healing, who are trying to gain spiritual revelation, who are trying to gain, um, some sort of creativity for, for themselves and also to reimagine a different world, to reimagine a better society, have to uh, work under the context and under the fear that, that these uh, substances are illegal is, is terrible in my mind. Um, but again, the more, I'll just say in, in a broad sense, the more you're focusing on preparing and respecting 
these plants and mushrooms and what might the experience engender. Um, the more you have someone there to support you in it, again, whether this is a facilitator, whether this is a, um, an underground therapist or guide, whether this is just a really good friend that you trust that has a lot of experience and feel they can be a compassionate sitter for you. Um, that's great. And then also this process of integration of whether you're, whether you're talking about it with that individual, whether you're writing these things down, whether you're keeping them in your mind and just figuring out and parsing out what these great lessons and great teachings could be, could be brought in. Um, that's going to be the safest and the most comfortable way. And there is tons and tons and tons and tons of information out there. Um, and if you want to dive into, you know, the uh, MAPS's website and the Zendo Project website, uh, again, Arrowhead, James Fadiman's uh, uh, Psychedelic Explorer's Guide. Um, and on top of it, MAPS also has a list of therapists on their website that could help with integration. Let's say you've had a, a challenging experience that has arisen and you weren't um, in a supported context or it didn't feel right for whatever reason, there's a lot of organizations out there that are now filling that gap and providing uh, help for people in that context. So they, again, if you look for the maps, um, I'd have to, we'd have to go back and provide, you know, the, the exact. Yeah. I'll, I'll provide, um, I'll provide links to all, all that you just mentioned. I think that's super, super helpful resources. I mean, we're definitely um, coming up on time here. And I did want to ask, uh, I guess, one one question, because I mean, I, I, for one, when I go into a psychedelic experience, still feel a lot of fear come up. And I'm curious, you know, I'm curious if you feel like prior to, because I, I, I think in innately respect that I'm, I'm relinquishing to some degree control of my experience for a bit. And maybe that's not the right way to think about it, but when you enter, when you are practicing, do you feel, do you feel that fear as well still, or is this something that you have experienced in the past or maybe you never did experience that? So I don't want to project that on you, but like, what are, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I love that actually. And I've created a, a word duo for it in my mind. And also when I talk about it as well, and I call it respectful trepidation. And yes, I think, I think no matter idea. how much, like, <laughs> yeah, no matter how much experience you have with this, it doesn't matter. Um, you're still gonna you're still gonna feel that respectful trepidation because you know how challenging and you know how intense uh, these experiences could really be. And I think it's it's beautiful to have that respect. Um, and I think there are ways to, to work with it. And I do think over time, you start to build up these mechanisms or muscles, you know, where there are certain experiences that you had where something might be challenging that prevents you from flowing into it. And whether it's, oh, man, the classic one, is this going to last forever? No, of course, it's not going to last forever, right? <laughs> you know, and then when, this, when, that, when, that thought, when that thought comes up again in the next experience, you're going to go, oh, all right, of course, that's really silly. And now I can move into the next thing, right? There's all these, these different examples, I think, that gives you, again, you build up some sort of muscles to work through that and to be able to ease more into the flowingness of the experience, whether that's ideas or thoughts that come up or emotions or memories or even sliding into a type of ego death, dissolution, unified experience. You know, even even that feeling in itself, of course, is pretty, pretty um, uh, turbulent. Pretty, 
Yeah. It could be very, very, very scary and you might want to resist it and it might be okay to resist it, right? But the more you ease in and flow into it, and if you've experienced that, you go, okay, I can ease into this. I know this is a, this is a metaphorical death and rebirth. This isn't a, physiologically, I'm actually quite cool. You know, again, that's a, that's a bit of a, a muscle, you know, that's a bit of a muscle and like an intense thing to, to be able to say. Um, but I also recommend, um, I don't know if recommends the right word, but again, going back to safe use thing, if you're not in a context where you feel uh, you're doing it, you know, sitting down with eye shades um, or, uh, you know, with a shaman or a facilitator, if you are out in nature and you are out in a safe place, which I think is a beautiful experience and one should, that should be also considered and supported amongst these deep inner dives, inner healing, um, something I picked up over the years that helped, that helps reduce that fear a little bit, because not only is it beforehand, but of course, if you take a lot and when that threshold, when you cross the threshold, there can be a really large emotional tone. You go, Oh boy, here we go. Um, and if it's, if it's, if it's a larger dose and you, you know, you're not, you know, you're like, Oh boy. All right. Oh all right. Boy. This is, this is, this is happening. Um, and this is something actually a good friend recommended to me years ago. And he said, you know, in, in regards to mushrooms, I always assumed that you had to take like, you know, when I was younger, I assumed you had to eat 3.5 grams and that was the only way, uh, which yeah. you know, of course, uh, a <laughs> result that, of, you know. That's part of where, that's where we grew up, I think. It was that, something that's, that. <laughs> exactly. You know, we, when we grew up, we didn't have all this great research and information. It wasn't as publicly spoken about. It was different. It was a bit, you know, you had to really kind of figure you out. To take and get one dose. That was yeah, exactly. that was it. And I remember it was uh, a few years after that, and it was a good friend Joe, and he said, "Why don't you just just nibble in, man? Why don't you just like eat a little bit of a time so it's not so intense, thrushless." Ah, that's brilliant. And so now it's something that I really recommend to folks: <laughs> if you're going to be out in nature and you're in a safe place and you're supported, and um, you know, give yourself a, a full day and a full night and be able to sleep in that and that same place in that same area, whether inside or, you know, in a tent or whatever, be, you know, be safe. But if you just eat a little bit at a time and you ease into the experience, then when you hit that threshold, it's not going to elicit so much fear, right? And the emotional tone is going to be really comfortable because you're just, you're allowing yourself to increase to where you want to be. And that might be a really intense experience if you're looking to go for a really deep dive, or it might just be a really enjoyable walking outside and taking in more sensory data and taking in your connection to the, the breathing trees. Um, and, you know, again, we should be safe about that um, and be really careful and make sure prepared, supported, integrated, all of that. But I, I, I do think that should be legal. Um, and I do think that should be an okay experience for humans to embark on because we're humans as a part of the natural world. And, that should be okay. So anyways, that's, a that's, um, I think oh, my point super, on, on super fear. Helpful. I, I think, uh, for me, like one, one experience that I had where I was super out there, I was like, literally I was in space. Like I was flying through space and time. I was not in my body. And I had a teacher, like a yoga teacher basically appear to me, um, not physically, but you know, in voice. And it was like, just breathe. And it was like, up oh, and I'm back, you know, like just breathing back into my body. I was like, here I am. Okay, cool. And uh, I feel like to the point of integration, and you you referenced this earlier, like, you know, the, there are psychedelic experiences or can be super profound, and there, but there are also ways to access um, different states of consciousness through um, through various you know religious and spiritual practices that don't include 
that that plant medicine or or substance or tool. And in fact, I think they they can inform each other. So you can have a profound psychedelic experience that leads to deeper meditations in time. And if you continue integrating meditations or physical yoga practice or pranayama breath practice um, over time, then your next psychedelic experience can be one that those tools help you navigate as well. And something that, you know, comes through your words, um, I want to call you Grower because that's how I know you my whole life. But Daniel, like, <laughs> I think uh, something that comes through your words from the very beginning of this is just a uh, profound respect and appreciation and gratitude for uh, for the, the natural gifts that are given to us. And I think um, gratitude is, I, I, did, I never understood that what gratitude, I did not truly understand what gratitude was until I experienced gratitude in a psychedelic uh, state of consciousness. Um, because I think we're, we're taught from such a young age, this kind of programmatic um, civility, this politeness of say your pleases and thank yous. And I think as a child, it can get the the meaning of a thank you can get lost because it's just you're saying it when you don't feel it because it's civil. And I recall an experience in which I um, I just truly did feel this deep, deep, deep sense of gratitude, and even leaning into that and leaning into a respect for the tradition of these substances and leaning into respect for the the power of these substances. Um, combined with, you know, entering from a state of intention and gratitude can be really, really, really powerful tools. These are also tools. These are like consciousness hacks in some ways to, to um, reduce that uh, respectful trepidation or to <laughs> meet that respectful trepidation. Because I, for one, you know, think about these experiences sometimes and I feel my heart flutter a little bit of like, wow, that's, that stuff is, is powerful. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I really like how you said that. Um, and of course, intention setting is a very, very important part of the of the preparation. And yes, gratitude of that degree, it's almost, it's sometimes, you know, it almost brings you to this sense of, of, of almost tears um, of how much, how much this, this world is taking care of us, how much these, how much of a gift these, these, these teachings really are. And it's so altruistic. It's just, it's just given to us. It's here. These, this is, this is a beautiful, incredible teaching experience. And, and it's, it's there. It's a gift. It's a gift from nature. Uh, And of course, the more we're operating from that perspective, the better we're going to feel. I mean, of course, there's tons of research out there about the positive effects of gratitude, not in a, yeah, not in a societal please and thank you way, but, and even still, but a deep, deep gratitude for, for being alive, for, for what we have here, for, for existing, for just being in this moment, for just being in this, in this beingness that we've been, that we've been gifted. It's, it's that deep and it's that fundamental and it's that incredible. And as you mentioned, there's tons of tools to get there. I mean, there's, there's meditation, there's yoga, there's, there's breathing techniques, there's drumming, there's dancing. I mean, you want to also go spend mm-hmm. it, you know, you, you know, you spend a night, spend a couple of nights solo in the woods, camping in camping. You're probably also going to feel your deep, deep connection to the world. And mystical experiences could pop, could pop out of nowhere. You could be on the, you could be sitting on the subway in New York city and all of a sudden, you know, and it's, uh, it's there <laughs> and you're on. So it's not, that's not a flashback. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, even, even without, you know, ever having used any of these substances. So I think it's, 
it's important to know that that this is this is natural um, and there's many different ways uh, to get there and like you're saying I think there's a there's a synergistic effect between these various practices and tools and technologies and the psychedelic experience as well where it's if you're if you're working through a meditation or yoga practice and uh, and you're working towards unity yeah you can very it's a bit easier to ease into those unified states in the midst of psychedelic experience. Same thing. If you've all of a sudden had a really profound ego death, mystical unified experience in, in, uh, through psychedelics, then all of a sudden you have a cartography. You have a bit more of a map of what that looks like in the midst of meditation. If that's the direction that you're aiming for, having experienced that is an incredible gift to again work where you're going otherwise you might just be it's happening gently and it's happening slowly but you might not be where you're going towards and of course we can get where we're going without a map sometimes but if you do have it it's really beneficial and you can you can get a bit more <laughs> a bit more uh directly uh to where you're going and i think i think that's really really what we're talking about here um and so, yeah, those things, those things work really well together. And the more respect we have, the more gratitude that we have going into it. And certainly no matter what you go into it and it's, you're, you're probably going to feel it in the midst of the experience, like, like you had, um, and like many others have as well. Well, I think this has been, uh, a really fun conversation for me and, you know, I hope the listeners enjoyed it and just a ton of resource. And as I go through and create the show notes, there'll be just a bunch of links dropped in here um, for further discovery. But uh, before we go, like, you know, how share a bit about yourself, how people can find you. Um, you know, you can drop the book and uh, where, where to pick it up. Uh, and, you know, if you would just want to leave the, the audience with or the listeners or the community with with one idea, feel free. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, in terms of where to reach me, information about me, um, as Mark mentioned, I just released a book, psychedelic consciousness, plant intelligence for healing ourselves in our fragmented world. Uh, best place to reach probably my website, which is danielgrower.com. Um, if you want to, there's a contact form out there, uh, on there that I check regularly. If you want to interact, I also just recently, uh, got into the social media world after, after seven years of, of being off it. Um, so now I have, wow. yeah, so now I have psychedelic. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now I have uh, psychedelic, psychedelic dot consciousness is my, my Instagram name. That's the one area where I'm exploring into that world again. So you could, you could reach me there. Um, and, you know, you could, you could pick up the book on my website through my publisher's website, intertraditions.com. It's also available on IndieBound, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Um, it's also possible your local bookstore might have it if you ask them, uh, which, of course, of course, great to support. Um, in terms of a, of a final message, I like ending on just understanding and hopefully bringing into your life that we are part of this earth. We are part of the whole. We are all trying to work through this thing to increase um, our survival, to increase our levels of, of happiness, or increase our levels of joy, of knowledge, of spirit, of healing. And I think in this time period right now, when there's so much pain, there's so much suffering, there's so much destruction, the more we can tap in to deep levels of heart, of deep levels of seeing the world around us as 
a full complex living entity uh, entity of seeing all the plants, all the animals, all the insects, all of the mushrooms, all the bacteria, all the viruses, every every single thing that's out there, the more that we can interact and understand that they too are living beings and that they too have a right to live and a right to continue. Um, I think the better off that we're going to be. And it's my greatest hope that we continue to have a deeper respect, reverence, and gratitude for each other, for the world around us, and for everything that's a part of this great and incredible gift that we call existence. And hopefully we can all operate from that perspective and begin to work towards it together because we all need a lot of healing right now. Having the greatest hope. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you coming on and I'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Mark. No worries. All right. Oh no. Alright, hello lookup listeners. One final note before we go. Thank you again for tuning in. Going forward, we'll be releasing new episodes of Look Up every Wednesday morning, Eastern Time. If you're getting value from this podcast and you want to give back to support our future, please take a moment to contribute to our community on Patreon. Our Patreon contributors have access to some great additional perks, including one-on-one meditations with yours truly. I've shared the link in the show notes below the episode. You can also find the show notes to this and previous episodes on our website, www.thelookuppodcast.com. If you can't contribute at this time, there are other helpful ways to give back. You can share this episode on social media, tag me, and or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Trust me, every review goes a long way. If you want more content, including more of my personal thoughts, you can follow me on social media. My handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Or you can subscribe to the Lookup Weekly Newsletter on my website. I'm also very responsive to email, so feel free to send questions, booking inquiries, speaking requests, and sponsorship opportunities to marc at thelookuppodcast.com. Finally, For those of you that don't know, I lead virtual yoga, breathwork, and meditation classes, as well as one-on-one coaching and teaching sessions, which you can book from the website or my social media accounts. Thank you to Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the great intro and outro tunes and for the sound engineering. Thank you, brother. And thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to support the show, for tuning in, and I hope that you've been enjoying this journey as much as I have.